This morning, we're talking about uh, Genesis 1 through 3, which is super difficult for me because it, it, it's probably more and more becoming my favorite place in Scripture. I, I think that the, authors were doing, the author was doing so much more in Genesis 1 through 3 than what we tried to shove into it as Westerners who want a equation of cosmology. I just, I don't know if that's what the author of Genesis is trying to do. But more importantly, I think that the more you understand Genesis 1 through 3, I'm certain of it because the way it's written in Hebrew, the more you understand the whole Bible. Um, Everything in the Bible comes back to what God intended. And I think that's more of what Genesis 1 through 3 is about. So we're going to talk about that. But before we do that, I want to start, I want to, I'm going to be doing several things today to get you to kind of close your eyes and just think. And, and, And we want to kind of be critical thinkers here. Please don't be the person that just comes like, here I am at church, just, just give it to me so I can leave. Just, just shove in that Bible thought, pastor, and I'm going to go. That's not what we're doing. We're doing this together. One body, one faith, one baptism. And so we're kind of growing together in this. When I ask you to think about things, when I ask you to participate, I, I really mean it. I encourage you to kind of wrestle through these things because here's the, here's the reality. We all struggle to forget stuff. We all struggle to look to our own eyes, our own thoughts, our own ideas. This is a moment where we get to come together to worship God, to say, despite everything else, we're going to worship worship a God who has all authority, who's with us always through King Jesus. And that's what we're doing here when we gather. And we do it not just individually. It's not just personal Jesus, personal save. This is a corporate reality that we're doing. It's the kingdom of God, right? And so I encourage you to do that. I want you to, for a minute, think about a moment in your life. Maybe you need to close your eyes to do this so you're not distracted. Um, when is a moment in life where you felt most alive? Everything just seemed to align in your life, like everything was just perfect, uh, and maybe even just good. There's not, a, there's not a single thing that could be perverse or wrong in this moment. Uh, you're hyper aware of how things ought to be, and you are a part of something good. Moment in life when just everything seemed to align just right. I'll give you some examples if, if this is hard for you. Uh, a lot of these things kind of come unexpected. The other morning, uh, I don't remember if it was Friday or Saturday morning, because this is Jander Feb, right? Like every day bleeds together. No one knows what happens January and February. It's like the beginning of the year, and it's the never-ending month of Jander Feb. And so, you know, I don't know which day it was, but uh, I woke up and walked into the kitchen, started making coffee, and I woke up late, which makes me think maybe it was after New Year's, but I don't remember. And out of nowhere, I just hear all of my kids, they're all doing uh, perler, perilla beads, perler beads, I don't ever know what it's called, but they're doing these little bead things that you put in these little holes. It is like a nightmare, by the way. It, they'll spill, <sighs> calm down. So they're doing this craft thing and ironing it on, right? And so, but they're all doing it, all four of them. No one's yelling, you know, no one's getting mad at each other. And they're listening to a song, uh, God Only Knows by some band that sings Christian songs. And when the chorus comes on, every single one of my kids starts singing loudly this chorus. We didn't orchestrate it. We didn't tell them that they just started singing it. And it was, it was just a moment where you're just like, our kids don't understand the depth of their worship right now. They don't understand the lament of this song. They don't understand how bad. They just know that there is a God who connects with them and hears them this moment. It was beautiful. And Nikki and I were just sitting there like, man, we didn't even lead this. It was just a beautiful moment, right? Uh, that happened in my life. Uh, there are other examples I thought of about things just seeming right, things being really pure and good. Um, I, this is really cheesy, and maybe this doesn't amaze you all, but when Nathan drums and sings, I don't know if you know anything about music, but that is, a, can someone just acknowledge, shake their head how hard that is? It is so hard. And there's this moment where it's like, 
God created him to do that because there's few people that can do that. And the way that like God put him on and he's leading us, man, that is a beautiful moment. So good. Uh, when, when Bridget teaches, man, she was up here talking about the Holy Spirit, the kids several weeks ago. But if you're ever on Wednesday nights, if you catch her teaching, there's just this moment where it's like, man, this is good. God created her to do this. Um, there are times in my house where I see Nikki ordering the chaos and everyone's sitting at this giant table doing different schooling things. And it's both a mess and also incredibly ordered at the exact same time. There's, just, there, there's these moments. And maybe for you, it's, you know, you have that vacation once where you just, the coffee was right and you're sitting on the beach or maybe you're in a log cabin somewhere. It's like, this is just a good, perfect moment. Um, for some reason, I can't get past this moment where I was hunting once. I've hunted a lot, but there was one moment in particular where it was, it was all kind of still green but fallish and the leaves were falling, but then based off Missouri's weather being super weird, also snow was happening. So we had this weird blend of not quite the end of summer, not quite the end of fall, but then it started snowing. And I remember as I was sitting there, you know, I, I sat for several hours because I'm really hardcore, right? So I can hunt for like, you know, six, seven hours at a time. So I'm sitting there just casually, no big deal. But I'm sitting there and I just watch it go from green to white, and it was so beautiful. It was like, there's this it's so perfect moment. We have these moments. I want you to think, what does it mean for this moment in your head? What does it mean for it to be good? What marks it as being good? What marks goodness as good? Is it because you decide it was good? Is it because you feel a particular way and because the feelings align and, and no one's interrupting you and the coffee was hot enough uh, because the, the pay raise at work was just right. What made it good? And now that your mind's probably racing with a lot of things because now you, you're in church so you're also probably thinking about sin and things that are bad in the world. So, okay, well, was it actually good? Now, okay, well, am I selfish? Things? Uh, we're not talking about that. I'm just curious. What makes something good? How do you measure the goodness? What, did you have a good year last year? I mean, someone said, yeah, yes, there was a good year. Why? What made it good? What is the standard of goodness? The Bible's one unified story that points to Jesus. And spoiler alert, Jesus is goodness. That's, that's it. That's where we're going to go ultimately. God is good. That's where we're going to go. But we need to talk about that. We need to unpack that because I think that's what's happening. Just We're going to pray here in a minute. And one of the things that I want us to do as we pray, uh, open your Bibles to Genesis 1. It's the first page. It might not be the exact first page because of preface and uh, people talking about how they translated the scriptures. But roughly the first page of where it actually is inspired, that's Genesis 1. And so open your Bible to that. As we pray, I want you to put this in mind. It is impossible for me to spend 10 weeks on Genesis 1 through 3 and cover everything. It's impossible. There is so much here. Uh, when you study the Hebrew and you study the, the order of things, it's so beautiful and powerful. It's impossible for me to cover it. And so you also, it's impossible for you to walk in this and not impart a Western 21st century cosmology. I promise you, you want Genesis to answer questions that it's not trying to answer. I promise. Because that's the way we approach the Bible. This is why we have to study. This is why we open our hands and open our hearts to God. Because the Bible wasn't written to answer absolutely every question that you have, because you have a limitation of knowledge and you have a limitation of language. The Bible was written to point you to God who is. That's it. To point you to God. The most important questions the Bible answers. But sometimes when we approach this, you're going to want me to say something about, you're going to want to unearth, what is, is the pastor an old earth or a young earth creationist? Let me figure out what he says. So I can, forget, I, who cares? I'm not going to tell you what I think, because it doesn't matter. 
right? That's not what Genesis was trying to prove. And so I'm not going to talk to you about a literal seven days because I don't think that's really the main point. I'm not going to talk to you about the Big Bang and God said it and bang it happened. I'm not going to talk to you about the chronology of time and how, hey, based off time works, if God's outside of time, philosophically, he did everything in a moment anyway. And so it was similar to what people, cosmologists come back to, the prevailing theory is Big Bang, right? So maybe God did all happen in one moment. And the fact that it was seven days is just the idea that it was a perfect amount of time for seven. We're not going to talk about that because it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. What matters is how we look to the Lord. And the reason I care so much about us open-handedly praying about this right now, we pray every Sunday before we get too much into it. But the reason I really emphasize that right now is there is an issue that happens where you have an expectation. You want some teacher to align exactly with your idea of cosmology and what you learned in the 80s or 90s or yesterday's thoughts. And we want to approach the scripture open-handedly. This is one unified story that points to Jesus. And we want to understand what the original author is trying to say to the original audience. But above all that, we want to worship the God who is and who Scripture says this God is. And so let's pray that we do that together and we avoid all these distractions that we impart in this and say, we need it to say that, ah, hold on. We need to hear what God wants us to hear. His spirit is here and he's going to guide us. And apart from all the words that even I just said, I probably fumbled something just then that you're upset about. Let's calm down. So what does the Scripture actually say? We're going to read it. We're going to wrestle and look to the Lord together. Let's pray. God, there is so much here that we want to unpack and wrestle with. You've told us that everything could be summed up in loving you with everything we have and loving others. You tell us that you're with us always, that we want to look to Jesus. I pray, God, that, that through uh, the words you speak, that, that the words you speak through me, that, that your word that we read, uh, that lasts forever, that Spirit would guide us to the knowledge that you want us to have, to the wisdom that we need. You tell us wisdom screams in the streets and that we submit to your wisdom, that your ruach will give us life. God, your spirit will give us life. I pray that that would happen right now, that your wisdom would be heard and that we would come out of this, this complex set of verses, that we'd come out worshiping and looking to you together as one. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus. Amen. What question is the author trying to answer here? You can keep that in mind. I don't know if I'm going to answer that perfectly, but we're going to wrestle through this together. I want you to close your eyes. <gasps> close your eyes. Maybe you don't want to because I offended you a couple seconds ago and you're afraid to close your eyes now. That's okay. Trust me. Close your eyes. I'm just going to read this to you. I'm going to read the first few verses. And I want you to let your mind gather what you think when you hear this. If you're watching from home, close your eyes. I can't tell if you're not closing them, but we'll, we'll trust you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And open your eyes. In the beginning is a vaguer phrase in Hebrew. Um, it, it's almost similar to our phrase, you know, you know, way back then, but over yonder, sort of vague language. Uh, I believe it's intentionally vague. Uh, I'll unearth that pretty quick. I think that the point here is in a specific time as much as before everything you can imagine. Way back then, when nothing was nothingness, can you imagine nothingness? You can't. Philosophically, you can't imagine nothingness because you import darkness to nothingness. You can't. You can't imagine nothing. To imagine nothing is to do something. So, <laughs> so anyway, uh, way back then, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when you imagine this, when this happens, will you pull up the picture of the, uh, the earth that we got here? Who, who thought of this? Raise your hand if this comes to mind. Don't be shy. God created the heavens and the earth, and you're thinking this, right? I'm sorry none of you had thoughts just now. It's okay. It's fine. No, it's okay. This is what I think. Now, let's be fair. Heavens and the earth, and we imagine this is earth. Who believes this is earth? Raise your hand. Thank you. This isn't a flat earth thing. I'm not trapping you. Say, you're wrong. It's actually flat. Come on. This is earth, right? How long has humanity had access to these images? Short time or long time? Short time. These images started in the late 1950s. Some people had them. They were televised in early 1960s, right? This is that. So the vast majority of human history, no one knew what this looked like, right? So now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What is the author talking about? Yes. Is he talking about this? Yes. But isn't it interesting to the writer here, the heavens are them things up there and the earth, them things down here. Now, don't let that be stupid and ignorant to you because maybe God's doing something a little more powerful than the cosmology you want to force into this. Cosmology is the origin. How did everything come together? I don't want to use that phrase. confusing. And, and yes, there is cosmology here. There are things we can pull out of this. Don't hear me throw all that away. I'm just saying that's not our purpose this morning, right? So maybe the first point is way back then, that stuff up there and this stuff down here, God. Let that sink in because there are so many problems you have in life that come back to the fact you don't actually believe that. You don't believe that he's the objective source. You don't believe that he's the one that sustains everything. You don't believe that he's the one that created everything. In fact, that's, we're going to, spoiler alert, that's the whole problem with the whole world. That's what happens, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Maybe the author's trying to do something more interesting here than just give us an exact equation of things. Maybe it's something beyond what we can grasp. Can you imagine nothing? No. Can you imagine a formless and empty void? Hey, no. Like, what does that even mean? Now, see, that's the, that's the whole point. Close your eyes. Read something again. Here we go. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Imagine what that looks like. What is a formless void in your mind? Just some gelatinous clear blob maybe? I don't know. And darkness was over the face of the deep. When you think of the deep, you probably think of ocean, water, right? Pirates. The earth is without form and void, darkness. Is this where you want to live to build a house, raise kids, plant a garden? No. No, this is a, this is a rough area. Um, there's, a, there's a Hebrew word here, a phrase that comes from this, uh, formless and void, looks like this. I might have not queued this up well. I'm so sorry, Mr. Wade. Nailed it. Tohu vavohu. What? That's okay. Yeah, that was my fault. Tohu vavohu. It's a Hebrew phrase. It rhymes. It's cute. Can, can you say that? Tohu vavohu. Say it again. It's kind of fun. <laughs> So you kind of like that, don't you? It feels good. It feels fun. The author's doing something intentional here. So this is formless and empty. There are some images that come to this, but specifically, usually there's an image of a desert place. This phrase is used other times in wilderness, desert places, places that are broken. And interesting, if you look at ancient Israel, right, there are some surrounding areas that would be desert place. No one wants to inhabit, no one wants to be to. And then close to that, you get the sea and in the dark sea of the waters where things are going and things are messy. This is a mess. 
mess. And so you have in the beginning, God created. But also in the beginning, there was this formless nothingness that is kind of like a desert. It's kind of like waters. But the point is, you wouldn't want to live here. This is a mess. This isn't okay. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Uh, say, uh, say, Happy New Year. Take your hand, put it in front of your face, and say, Happy New Year. You feel that? Happy New Year. You can feel, what, what do you feel? Breath. You feel breath. God's spirit, ruach, was hovering over the waters. This is God, this character, this personal form of God, uh, words were turning to get really tricky, but this, this thing of God is going to come over and over and over in scripture. And here's the first time we're for God's ruach, his animating force. His force is now hovering over the waters. How did you get the word happy new, your force, your breath, happy new year. How did you get it out of you? You spoke, you spoke. So God's animating forces in him, right? His spirit hovers over the waters. And what is his spirit doing? Hovering over the waters. What happens next? Close your eyes. And God said, God spoke. Happy New Year, Ruah. God spoke his breath. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day. The darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning on the first day. God, you can open your eyes, God speaks. This is so important because we are slowly creating a doctrine of God based off the very first verses in Scripture. And so often we import all these ideas and you say, well, what about his goodness? What about his love? So we're not there yet. What do we know about God so far? God created everything. God is so powerful that his spirit, his ruach, hovers over chaos and darkness, whatever you imagine to be unhibited junk in the world. All the things that are terrible, all the things that are awful, God's spirit apparently can hover over the top of that, and he can bring order to that chaos simply by speaking. And when he speaks, he brings light. This is what we know about God. And I feel it. I feel you churchy people that are raising church. No, duh. I got it. I heard that from Aunt Sally. Stop. Let this sink in because we forget this. We woke up this morning and we slowly saw the light and we never attributed it to God because it's another cold day on this silly city that we've got all these problems with and I got to go to work tomorrow. But there is a God who brought light and your world is not in darkness because there is a God who brings light. There is a God who speaks, and when he speaks, stuff happens. There is a God whose spirit hovers over darkness. Whatever you define as darkness, his spirit hovers over it. And when he speaks, he brings order into chaos. And a lot of us have been disenchanted with that God because we've made it into something else or because we haven't seen order from chaos lately or we haven't seen much but darkness. We haven't experienced light. But the author of Genesis wants you to know everything you see around you was spoken authoritatively into existence and sustained by an objective source. My Bible right now is on top of this stand. What holds this stand up? Well, the legs of the stand. What holds the legs of the stand up? The stage. What's holding the stage? The floor. What's holding up the floor? The ground. What's holding up the ground? 
gravity. Come on, like no matter, there's some source here. And at some point you're like the floor, the ground, what are we talking about? We're talking about the source of what we understand in the conversation, the actual boundary. This is God. And so if you want to try to, well, where did God come from? God doesn't need an answer to that question because God is. And that's what the author wants you to understand. In the beginning, this God who is, where did he come from? My son all the time, well, who created God? That's not the point. We, we don't, that's not, there's no answer to that because, because of the ground. Who created the ground? Well, God created the ground. Stop, churchy people. What, what is the ground on top of? I don't know. It's the base. It's the bottom. Whatever word you want to use for stuff at the beginning. In the beginning, God. He's the source. He's the objective source. This matters practically for your life because you want to know what love is. And you want to argue, is love love or is love something else? Who created love? The objective source. What's justice? What do we do about abortion? What do we do about the gays? Stop! What's the source? This is where the Bible wants you to start answering those questions. Where, where does it all come from? In the beginning, there's a God. And that God speaks and He transforms everything. He brings order from chaos. This is a Bible nerdy thing, but uh, i got to point it out because I'm so fascinated with it. There's an image here. It's itty-bitty lettering, um, and I highlighted where it says God speaks, and you won't be able to see this very well, but you can see the highlights. You know how many highlights are here? Ten. There's ten of them. Do you know how many times God speaks in Genesis 1? Yeah, don't get bored. We're, we're still together. Ten. God speaks ten times. Again, you start understanding Genesis 1 through 3, you understand the entire Bible. You know some other significant tens in the Bible? How many plagues were there? If you read the plagues and you compare it to Genesis 1, it's almost like God is dismantling creation in front of Pharaoh. And you say, well, what's one of the last plagues? Darkness. Plague after that? Death. What's the first thing God creates? Light. There's a significance when Hebrews read this and then they read their history and say, hold on, doesn't God speak 10 times to dismantle creation for Pharaoh? This is the God who creates order from chaos. Wait, I know this God. How many times does God first speak to Israel on Mount Sinai? We call them the 10 commandments. There's a whole lot more after that, by the way, 600 something, 618, 13. I get confused sometimes. There's 600 plus of them. He speaks 10 times. I know this God. He's the God who speaks 10 times. And then, what kind of things does God speak into existence? What does he call them? Good things. Do you know how many times he says there's good? There's an image here. Good, good, good. That's, you're, you're fine. How many times does God say good? Seven times. You've heard these things before about them. Numbers are significant in the Bible. I'm not suggesting every single number is super significant in every way because that's annoying. We can't figure that all out. But there are numbers to Hebrews that stand out. And it's interesting that God declares his creation, that he speaks into existence ten times. He speaks. And then seven times he says, this is good. Seven being the number of completion, the number of God, the number of righteous, the number of things being in order the way they ought be. He says, it is good. So we have this God who creates. What kind of things does he create? Good things. So God creates good things. What is good? The things God creates. Now we're starting to come. So you remember that moment that you said was good? Why was it good? Is it good because you said it was good? Is it, because, is it good because you're... Maybe. But how do you know what goodness is? The author of Genesis wants us to know. You want to know what good things are? You want to know what right things are? You want to know what a perfect set of completed order is? Ten? Seven? You want to know... You have to look to the Lord. 
You're not going to get it anywhere else. Not in these other creation stories, not in these other ideas of gods or, or weaker gods or lesser gods or lesser Eliohim. That's not it. The ultimate thing is our God who speaks ten times, who speaks perfectly and declares things good. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Both male and female, he created them. We are created in his image. You've heard some of these things before. Yes, you've been in church. We're created in his image. Ah, see this. Uh, maybe this will work. I can see some of you. Hopefully I don't blind any of you. See, oh, there's Keith. Christian's back there. All right, there's, there's Ron. Uh, is this me? Here, I'm in the mirror here. I'm going to have to look at you guys backwards here. But, yeah, am I in the, am I in the mirror? Is that me? No, I was, I, what, so have I metaphysically become two people? No, it says it's tricky. So is it me? Sort of. It's, it's an image of me. It's an exact replica of me. Is it you? Kind of, right? It's tricky, right? So this is the idea of being created as an image. And this mirror is so important because what if, think of a weird sci-fi movie. What if like, uh, this happens in cartoons sometimes too, like I'm waving at my image and then like the image pokes me in the eye. Like, oh gosh, what? You, don't do that reflection that kicks me in the gut. Stop. You know, I didn't kick myself in the gut. And then it crawls through the mirror. It's like, I'm Doc David. Follow me. And then it walks away and we're just like, whoa, insert hero movie, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Did anyone follow that? Me comes out of the mirror. Not, okay, sorry. That, uh, it, it worked in my head, right? This is the idea that Genesis is trying to create. We were created in this image. We were created in the image, the mirror image. It's not the source. It's an image. And what is the image of God up to this point? A creator of good things. It's interesting that your desire in life, when we talk about things, say, say, what's your job? What do you want to do? Talk to kids. It's, it feels like so much with uh, youth, working with youth. You're always at, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do in the world, dude? Like, you're going to grow up. You got to make money. But like, you don't want to do meaningless money stuff. And what are you going to do with that money you make? What are you going to do? So if someone's funeral, we have a eulogy. You talk about, what did they do, right? And of course, you don't want me at your eulogy to say, well, Dennis was kind of a turd. Like, that's not what we do. We talk about how great each other is, right? It's because we want to make something good of the world. You were created in the image of a God who creates good things. It's no wonder that you want to have a good year. It's no wonder you want to have a good family. It's no wonder you want goodness. This is the story that was written on your heart. God created you to create good things in his image. Back to the intro question. What is, what is good? What is the moment you have? What measures that in goodness? Interestingly enough, all the things that you value deepest in life, all the things Hallmark movies and Nicholas Sparks are writing about, these are all things that come back to God. Think about love, family, justice, righteousness, heroic acts, all the hero movies we have, and ah, peace, joy. These things all come back to an objective source of who God is. And he created us in those images. We desire those things because they reflect him. God created these good things. What, what happens after he creates humanity? Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over all the living things that move on the earth. God creates it. 
gives it to us and says, enjoy, go manage it, subdue it, be good managers, imitate me, created in my image. The message here is that you were created in my image. You were created in my goodness to create good things. So go and do that for my glory, to point back to me, to point how good I am. And by the way, because I'm so good and great, it's going to take you forever to do that because that's what you do. And there's endless ways you do that, right? You could make a rock and you can sharpen it and create an ax and then cut down trees and then you can build houses. That's neat. Now you've created a house and that glorifies me because I'm the objective source of good things. A good thing points to an objective source of good things. Now you start understanding why Jesus can talk about a kingdom. He didn't talk about just your personal salvation. He talked about a kingdom. What if the world was structured in a way that every little thing you did actually pointed to an objective God who loves everyone, who wants them to know how good he is, how glorious he is. Every house you built, every project you did at work, every caricature you printed on your 3D printer, what if in some way that pointed to the goodness of God? Whoa! Now the world all of a sudden starts making sense. Now the hero movies. And what if, ever, man, this is, this is for free. The book of Boba Fett came out recently. It's a new Star Wars thing, and it explains how Boba Fett got out of the Sarlacc pit. Anyone with me? Does anyone care about this? Fine, I'm going to do it anyway. And so, interestingly enough, this, this story, episode one, is called Strangers in a Strange Land. Where does that come from? Exodus, right? Yes, also that. Two, two sources, right? There was a book that was written in the 70s, 60s? Uh, yeah, so there's a sci-fi that was written, right? And then it also comes from Exodus. And there are several things in the book of Boba Fett when people are analyzing this episode one that dropped last Wednesday. People are analyzing, whoa, there's a lot of like Pharaoh stuff in here and Moses stuff. It's interesting. And so I was talking to a guy at my gym about it and he said, dude, there was a book written in the 60s about how all religions and all stories come back to the same basic thoughts. And every story is telling the same story. <laughs> he's, not a, he's not a believer. I said, hey man, um, wouldn't it be interesting if there is a God who created all things, that all the story in our hearts, that every story that we told, everything that we're trying to point to is ultimately still going to end up with the same ideas of love, justice, sacrifice, things that imitate our God. Now you understand you were created to create good things. And I'm not suggesting that every good thing is created for God's glory because not everyone is intentionally doing that. But even people who aren't intentionally glorifying God, any good thing points to him. And so we can say, hey, I know you didn't make this German chocolate ice cream to glorify God, but it's certainly glorifying God because it's so good. And only God can create something as good as German chocolate ice cream. Right? Man, it's like no one in this room has had anything good. Is there anything that excites you? God did it. And that is a reason to live every moment. It's 2022. What's good in your life? Nothing's good. It all stinks. Then there is no God. But there is a God. Because Genesis 1 steps in says, in the beginning, God. Now, here's the thing. We can talk about all the dark things that have happened, right? I mentioned casually all the things up here that get people fired up because I know you. I know things that bother you, right? We've got masks and politics and vaccines and things that get, things are awful. And we could go on and on. There's a list of things that didn't go right. Why? Because God gave it to us to point to him, to glorify him, to create good things, to glorify him. And we chose to rebel. He said, you have two paths. You can follow me experience joy in my glory, eat from the tree of life, talk forever about the tree of life, we don't have time, uh, watch the Bible Project video on tree of life, we'll post it on Facebook, but all through, you can eat from the tree of life, or you can choose rebellion, what's right in your own eyes, and you can read it, Genesis 3, I talk about it every week when I preach, Genesis 3, I'm not going to read it right now, but you can read the story, we were tempted, 
was good in our own eyes, good for food. And the serpent said, you can be like God. You're not just the reflection. You can be the source. You can decide what's right and wrong. You can decide good and evil. So that's what we did. We rebelled. And as soon as that happened, we acknowledged we were naked. We hid from God. And we had death and cancer and wars and stillborn babies and all these things that just really crush us. And we have to, and, we, and the, why? We start saying, why? Why do these things happen? Why is the world? We want goodness. You just told us we were created for good things. So we broke it. We're bad managers. We broke it. And, and I love the beginning of this story because I don't need you to be a Christian to agree with that. Every, every uh, uh, worldview, every human has to answer some basic questions always. You have to answer, where did we all come from? Way back then, how did up here and down there get here? How did it happen? We all have to answer that question. And then we have to answer, what went wrong? Because something's wrong, Right? How does it get resolved? Those are the three questions. When we, uh, when we walk through baptism, especially with children, but typically first conversation with salvation and baptism, I ask people to say, how do we all get here? What went wrong? What's the solution? So I try every sermon, actually, we're talking about that. What's the solution? How do we get there? We have all these bad things happen. A holy God can't be with something that is not holy, not right, not complete. And so when we chose to repel against God, we chose to separate from him. And the story that we're going to discover every week is the God who does everything to make that relationship right, because we can't. And that's a story that we're invited to read this year. That's the gospel. This is the good news. There's all these bad things that happen that we broke. It's a tragedy. And God is coming to make it right, because we serve a God. We know a God who hovers over the darkness, who speaks His Ruach and orders the chaos to create good things. And so maybe the message for you this morning is, I've got a long list of things that are screwed up in my life. Maybe you just need to hear that the same God who brought that sunrise that you remember being really beautiful that one day, that same God has been ordering chaos from the beginning. And there is no chaos that you can bring into this world that he can't make right. So maybe that's your message this morning. Say, man, I just need to stop there. But some of you might need to know, you know, why? Well, how, how does this happen? Um, there's a Bible project video that we're going to play. Uh, we'll probably post it on Facebook. We're not going to play it this morning. Sorry, Wade. Um, but as your homework this week, read John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is so fascinating. As a disciple of Jesus, he comes along and uh, he's hearing these stories and, and he's going to write these. Uh, he's a Christian man. He says, I'm going to write down these things about God. And there's a lot of discussion on who John actually was. Forget that for a minute. But John... He structures John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18, exactly parallel with Genesis 1 and a little bit of Exodus. But he does this intentionally, and he talks about Jesus. In fact, he says, John 1, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. What is Word? Pfft, huge, long Greek conversation. In essence, what does it sound like? Happy New Year. Breath speaking things into existence. Your word is your authority going out to other people. My word is my bond, right? We have this idea of like, well, does your word mean nothing, right? Uh, shake hands and I give you my word. Same sort of idea here in the Greek, but it also brings Hebrew people back to, wait, there's a God who speaks. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The Bible has these like pregnant sentences that 
we read and you, you can hear them and say, that's true, but also you can debate it forever. What does it mean that Jesus is God, but Jesus is separate from God? Welcome to Trinitarian discussion. These things are complex. It's interesting to note that it's above us. And we can say, man, we worship a God that is one in three parts that loves us enough to continually reveal himself to us and try to connect with us. And we see that in the spirit, his ruach is hovering over the waters, pneuma in Greek. See that in his spirit. We see that in the son, Jesus, who comes down as a human to live with us. The word was God, right? We see that in God, the father. Verse two, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Tovu vavohu, formless and void, desert waters, places you don't want to raise your children. You're like, ah, oh, you can't have deserts and you can't have waters. And see, that's it. Welcome to being a Hebrew. Paradox, confusing. That's the whole point. You, you wouldn't want to live here. Think of how terrible it would be if it was both desert and raging waters and darkness. What an awful establishment. But the spirit of God, his ruach hovers over it. And who was also there? The word. Jesus Christ was there. He was there along with creation. And in him was the light. In him was life. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Later on it says, But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Although we are separated, we're able to be children of God. They were born not of blood, nor of the will or of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When we start talking about Genesis 1 through 3, when we say that the whole Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus, uh, I can't tell you one specific line in Genesis 1 through 3 that's specifically like, you see, you see, this is the specific Jesus thing. There's kind of a, a messianic prophecy when God talks to Eve, right? Here's the point. All of the Bible is creating a narrative structure to help you understand that there is a problem. We are separated from God, and the solution is going to be seen in Jesus. And when you see the Bible as a whole narrative that points to Christ, you see that everything comes back to the only hope that you or I have is Jesus. There's a God who creates that brings order to chaos. There's a God who loves you, who's trying to communicate with you. This is why we're reading the Bible together this year, because Jesus Christ is life. He is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it that God has been consistently trying to make a right relationship with us from the beginning. Jesus specifically says, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here we come at the end. Who created you? God. What Did he create you in his image, right? And his image is to create good things. So why were you created? To glorify him, to create good things. What's a good thing? What God says is good. Why? Well, I, I can't do that. Yeah, you can't. You're right. You broke it, right? And you continually break it. But Jesus is the light. Jesus is the life. And through believing in him, we are made right. And so through Christ, actually, you, you can. So Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. But through him, you'll bear much fruit, right? And so, so you want to do what's good? You want to do what's right? You want to do what you're created to do? You want to do good things only through Jesus. That's it. That's your shot. How do, I, how do I know? How do I do good things? This is why we're reading the Bible. Because <laughs> this is it. This is our shot at knowing. As we, as we move forward several weeks and, and we wrestle through the rest of the years, we read the Bible. And whether you keep up or you get behind or you fall off and you still attend, that's, that's fine. 
We want to see that this Bible is one unified story that points to Jesus. We want to see that Jesus is our king. And everywhere we look in here, the only hope that we have is Jesus. And I want you to read Genesis 1 through 3. And I want so bad for you to connect the way God created the world and how everything is intimately coming back to his glory. All the problems in your life are things of you rebelling, saying, I want to do what's right in my eyes. I've decided what's right. Every argument that we have, man, this is unity, all the brokenness that comes, the disunity things we argue about. It's so interesting that those things aren't rooted in looking to the Lord, looking to us, me being right, me doing what I want. In the end of the story, God redeems everything, and we see again a garden and a river and everything made right. In fact, it's actually terrible theology that God's just going to set the whole thing on fire and something new, we're all going to be whisked away. You're going to die and whoop, you're whisked away somewhere else. That's just actually not quite biblical and that's not treating revelation appropriately. In fact, think about just in general, does it logically follow with the Bible? Is If God creates this thing that he says is very good, right? Is he just going to torch it all and destroy it and crush it? Think about this. Um, uh, who, who has the best burger in town? Real quick. The answer is Patty's. Sorry, you're wrong. So um, Patty's has the best burger in town. Maybe Echo Lounge. Let's say that Patty's goes under new management. Sorry, Papa Patty. It's, let's say it goes really terrible. And they start having terrible burgers, right? Is my solution to write a Yelp review and then rally all of you to go burn the place down? Burgers are terrible. Let's burn it down. No, you would never do that. Your favorite restaurant stinks. You go burn it down. No, you wish for new management. You want someone to make it right. Get back to the way things were meant to be. Now you understand the gospel. This is what God's trying to do. And he does it through King Jesus. This is how Jesus can say, I have all authority. I am with you always. As you move forward this week, I want you to think about what's good. Because there's a lot of things we can land on here. We can talk about tens. We can talk about spirit. We can talk about the tree of life. Uh, this message evolved so many times throughout the week. So there's so many things to emphasize here. I want you to just think about what's good. Because you want to have a good year. You want to have a good family. You want to have a good boy and girl. You want to have a good work life. You want to have a good savings. What is good? Who says it's good? Why do they say it's good? What makes it good? We read a story here of a God who orders chaos. A God who makes all things new and says, this is good. He creates all things. And so you were created in that image. It makes sense that you want something that's good, and you broke it. I broke it. We only know what's good because of who God is. And so this year, we're looking to Jesus. We're looking to his word to say, what is good? What does it mean for things to be right, for things to be good? And, and here's the truth. If you're trying to do these things apart from Jesus, not only will you tragically be eternally separated from him, be cast away into hell, as Scripture says. Not only is that the truth, but also your whole life is such a waste, such an adulteration of what's supposed to be. What if everything you did pointed to what you were created to do? What if everything was, was as awesome as that good moment you're trying to imagine? You think about Nathan playing, playing drums and singing, Bridget teaching, my wife ordering, whatever it is, whatever your analogy is. That's what God intended for you. Your job, your family, And these good things only come through Christ because in him was life. He shines in the darkness. He brings light and darkness can't overcome it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ this morning. Maybe you need to uh, decide that, man, I've never publicly committed. I need to, to baptize. Maybe you're watching from home and there's these questions and things swirling. Man, I encourage you to send us a message. You can come talk to me as we respond. But the specific thing I would encourage you to do right now is what we do so often. It's open your hands as we sing.
and say to the Lord, man, what, what is it that you want me to know? What, what am I saying is good that's apart from you? Because only he is good. And if you're not seeking him, if you're not looking to Jesus, you don't have a shot. And these all things are just, just ideals that you hope for that could be completely corrupt. You won't experience hope. You won't experience joy, peace, family, justice, love. Pick your word. It's all found in Christ. I would encourage you to stand. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to look to the Lord. Maybe you want to ask the Lord to inspire you to be reading his word and, and to be connecting with the story this year. More on that here in a little bit. But open your hands as we worship him. God, I pray that you would guide us. It's so hard to wrap our minds around what, how things began. And there's so many things that distract us. So many things that distract me from looking to you. God, aside from all the words uh, that have spoken, I pray that your word would ring true and that we would look to you. Thank you, God, for speaking into creation. Thank you for giving us your, your narrative that reminds us that you were there in the beginning. That Jesus, the, the Father, the Spirit, that you were all there, that, that, that you ordered the chaos, bringing goodness God, may your spirit guide us to your goodness. May you give us wisdom as your word tells us that we seek your wisdom. I pray for anyone in here that doesn't know you, anyone watching at home, anyone that's hearing this that has no idea who you are, hasn't submitted to you, God, may your spirit move them to believe in you, to open their hands and trust in you. And God, may you guide all of us to be repenting and believing in your gospel as we see your kingdom come and your will be done. May all parts of our life be pursuing your kingdom guide us as we worship you as we open our hands and whatever response you have for us thank you for being so big god bigger beyond anything we can imagine